Well, for 16 years, as I've been teaching heart strings, I start every one in September by doing one thing with you. I talk about how to have a really good table. And so I'm going to start off with that. We're going to take 10 minutes to do this. I'm going to have you discuss around your table where your role is in this. And I think it will be really helpful. So you see on your note-taking guides right there um, a few ways that you can help heartstrings to really be a great, great event for every single person on Wednesdays. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is say those first words in the heavy black print with me. Say them real loudly. should you do? Why do you think that's so important? It, I think you have a little blank there, don't you? The dynamics of your table will be different if you miss. It is just so important that when you signed up for Heartstrings, you come no matter how you feel. Many weeks you'll get up and you'll say, I don't feel like going to Heartstrings. And understand that your teacher probably is feeling the same way. But what if I said, I don't feel well, I'm going to stay home. I have a bit of a headache, which I did this morning. I, you know, I'm just like, eh, I don't really want to go. You need to be here because the table dynamics will change if you, if you have a table of eight and two or three people don't come or if tables have to be combined, it just messes it up royally. I want to encourage you, unless you have a sick child or unless you really, really have like the flu or something or on vacation, make sure that you come no matter how you feel. You feel better as soon as you get here. So I want to push you. It's fascinating to me. We'll start off with a hundred and 78 people or something by next week when we get all everybody else back. By December or November 20-something, our last one, we'll have about 100. Guys, that's 60 or 70 people who stop coming. Don't do it. Don't let it happen. Be really disciplined and really committed so that you come regularly. Let me give you another suggestion. Give your table a chance. I've been doing this for a long time, and I know that at first when you come in, especially you guys who don't know each other, you go, oh man, it just feels awkward, and I don't know how to share, and Patty's asking us to go deep about something. Just give them a chance. Um, now, I really, if you have a table, you say, I really was hoping to sit, to sit with someone, so let me know that, and we'll do our best to adjust for it. Um, but if you're saying, I'm not exactly sure if this table's going to fit, you might want to give it a little bit of a chance and see how it goes, because you can get to know those people and get to really develop some good friends. The next thing I encourage you to do is participate. I know it's hard to do at first when you don't know each other, but um, you might have you know superficial discussions at first, but I want to encourage you to really participate. Be as open and honest and transparent as you can be and find out how that really helps your table. So participate. How many of you are more on the introverted side? Let me see your hands. Clap for me. introverts go, man, it's just really hard to open up and talk. Just push yourself to do it because we need your perspective. We need your insights. We need your thoughts. How many of you are extroverts? Yeah, you're the people clapping strongly. That next point is for you. Extroverts in the room, read those two words with me. Don't. Do it again. Do it again. And you say it, and some of you still will do it. <laughs> Every year, after a couple weeks, I have somebody, two or three people, come up to me and say, Patty, I don't 
don't know how to say this, and I feel bad saying it, but I just want you to know that so-and-so monopolizes the conversation. And it's just one of those extroverts who, you know, who, who just loves to hear her voice and, and, and thinks she has all the answer, answers. And, and, and the one thing that she does, this is, listen, extroverts, I want you to get this. This is what you do that down, you think it's cute, you think it's good, you think it's fun, you think people want to hear, but down deep people are saying, I wish you'd shut up. <laughs> Let me tell you how you do it. Let's say you're at this table and Devin gives an answer. The extrovert jumps in and responds to Devin. And then Paula says something. And the expert jumps in and says something, you know, so it's after every person, you jump in. You jump in and give your opinion. Don't do it. And what you can do is learn to ask questions. Instead of jumping in after every person, just realize those introverts and quieter people, they have better things to say than we extroverts usually. We just don't usually let them. So just step back and ask a question and say, what do you think about that, Kristen? What, what do you think about that? Or how, how would you answer that? So be really, really, really careful not to monopolize the conversation. And one thing that might help is if you give somebody permission around your table to tell you when you are, because most of you won't realize that you're doing it. You think that you're doing better, and they'll still come to me and tell me how you're monopolizing the conversation. <laughs> so ask somebody around your table, if this is an issue with you, Ask somebody around your table to say, would you let me know if I begin talking a little bit too much and answering too often? And often, just really, when I get a question or uh, somebody gets a question, then just say, you guys, what do you think about this? I'm going to shut up here. And I'm, I'm making a big deal out of it because I want your tables to be so good. I want you to just long to come every week and get to know each other. So uh, do that, would you? Around your table, this is the first question. Which one of the above will you have the most difficulty doing? Being regular? Tell why. <laughs> being regular sounds like bowel movement or something. <laughs> How many of you have a problem being regular? Um, participating? Maybe you introverts will say, it's hard for me and you need to know that I'm an introvert and so I have a hard time just speaking out. Um, how many of you say it'd be, I'm, I'm afraid I'll be the monopolizer and so you guys have to help me. Out of all of those, which one will you have the most difficult time, oh, giving your table a chance too. Which one will you have the most difficult time doing? I'm going to give you two minutes, not long, because we're going to start a lesson. Go.
last May, <clears throat> the last week, I said, you know, how are you going to stay fresh this summer? How are you going to stay really close to the Lord? How are you going to stay in the Word? How are you going to stay a person of prayer? And so I hope that you really made some strides that way. That a great summer, interesting summer. Uh, three weeks ago Sunday was when I was able to do the sermon. And after the weekend, I was just fried. And I said to John, um, let's go looking at open houses. I love to look at open houses. And always open to, you know, maybe I find something I would really, really like. And so we went looking at open houses and we said, uh, let's go look at LeClaire. We never go to LeClaire to look at houses. We'll never, we would never move to LeClaire. And so we went out to LeClaire and we saw a house. A condo. We live in a condo. We said, hmm, maybe we would move. Man, we'd, make, we'd save a lot of money if we moved here and it's a little bigger. So we went home and said, what if our house would sell? Let's find out. And our friend Candy said, uh, just put a sign outside. Just find out. So we uh, cleaned a few closets out and put a sign out on the next Saturday. So that was on Sunday we found it. The next Saturday we put a little sign out and uh, had a little open house, just people driving by, and had three offers. And we said, I think our house will sell. <laughs> and it was at full price, and we said, oh my goodness, I think we might move to LeClaire. But you know, there are a few things about that house we didn't really like the outside. John just didn't like the outside. And we said, there's another house in that neighborhood that, that uh, we'd look online and say, let's look at that. That'd be fun to look at that. So we went out and looked at that and said, this is the house we want to get. So we made an offer on our house and sold our house, and we're going to move in two weeks. <laughs> it was just, oh, you don't have to clap for me, it's stupid. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just, you know, the difference in temperaments. That my, uh, I have some friends who want to move and, and say, you know, it'll take me a year before I ever get anything ready to even think about moving in. I go, eh, three weeks, that's long enough. <laughs> so uh, we're moving in a couple of weeks, and so my life has been really, really, really crazy, and um, I think we're crazy people. <laughs> I'm really glad to be back at Heartstrings. I am just so excited about what God's going to do this year, this semester, guys, as we study different people in the Bible. We've never done this before. We've never had a time where we just looked at a specific character every week. I mean, you know, different character every week. I think it's going to be really, really enjoyable, a learning, a great discussion. Let me give you, who are new here, one explanation of why we do the way we do here at Heartstrings. Some of you have been involved in BSF, which is amazing, wonderful, fabulous. We just don't do uh, do it like BSF. We um, have the teacher teach for a little while, and then we have you discuss it around your tables, what we're talking about. We do that real intentionally. It's not because we don't have enough to teach. I would, there's a part of me that would love to just get up and teach for an hour. But I don't think that's the way you'll learn the best. I think how you really learn the best is if you address the issue maybe with the teacher, and then around the table you talk about, how are we going to do this better? Where am I not doing this better? How do I need to grow? I think that's just really a helpful way to learn. Plus, one of the primary goals of Heartstrings is to have you develop good friendships around your table. And you don't do that if we just get up and teach to you. And so it's really important for you to share around your tables. That's why we do it the way we do. And that's what we're going to do today as we study one of my favorite heroes of the Bible, Barnabas. Let's pray. Lord, I just can't wait to see what you do in our lives. Even today, in this next one hour, as we look at this hero of the faith, I pray that you would give me real, really lots of wisdom, lots of um, freedom as I teach this. Help me not to be in bondage to anybody as I teach it. Um, I pray you'll really open up our hearts 
And you'll help everybody in this room recognize where she needs to become more what you want her to be. I pray you'll help people around the tables, especially where they don't know each other really well. Help them to open up and share and be transparent. Help them, Lord, this semester, may we just be set on fire for you and for your word and for being the servants that you want us to be. We pray in your holy, precious name. Amen. Amen. Another thing that happened this morning is I couldn't find my reading contacts, so I have to wear my glasses. Um, we're going to talk about one of my favorite characters in the Bible. You can take your Bible, and if you don't have one, there's back there's a box on the pool table back there that has some Bibles in it that you can borrow or you keep if you need it. Take your Bible and have it ready. Um Turn, first of all, to Acts chapter 4, verse, verse 36. Acts 4, 36. If you're not familiar with looking up stuff in the Bible, what we say all the time is, we don't care, doesn't matter, use your table of contents, or let somebody next to you help you find it. We just want you to get better and better at looking up stuff in the Word, and so don't feel intimidated, don't be nervous if you're the last one finding it. Everybody sitting into this room at one point was not good at looking stuff up in the Bible. Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and we're going to be introduced to Barnabas. Let me get there. In the early church, they were like growing like leaps and bounds as the gospel was being taught. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, we find a man with a nickname. Look at it with me. Joseph, that's his name, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means what? Son of encouragement. He was so known as an encourager that his nickname was Son of Encouragement. Just think, if you were so known as being an encourager to people that people called you the daughter of encouragement, if that were just your nickname... Wouldn't that be amazing if we had a whole church full of people who were just committed to being encouragers? Now, what I want you to just kind of begin talking about around your table is this. You can just take notes off to the side. When you think of encouragement, what do you picture? Think of some actions. Think of some body language. Think of some attitudes, etc. Just around your table in two minutes. What do you think of when you think of the topic of encouragement or being an encourager? Go, just for a couple minutes. Well, you have a few thoughts that you've thrown out already. Let's go a little bit deeper into what it means to be an encourager. Let's talk about the definition of encouragement that the dictionary might give. The dictionary says it means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. To raise one's confidence. To put courage into. Now, biblically, it comes from the verb form of paraclete. And if you know much about the Bible, especially in John chapter 14, the word paraclete is used for the Holy Spirit. And it literally means one who comes alongside of. One who comes alongside of. Deb, would you come up here just a second? 
You ever uh, seen a sports event? Come on up. You ever seen a sports event where somebody, you know, like pulls something or breaks something or something? And what happens with the, somebody? They come alongside and they just help that person limp along, don't they? That's the word picture that's used here. One who comes alongside of to help somebody who's in need. Thank you, Devin. Um, I love that picture of being an encourager, don't you? Somebody who comes along somebody who's just kind of limping along or maybe isn't outwardly even limping. I'm convinced that all of us limp in some ways. Everybody in this room, including this one, limps in some ways and needs an encourager. And I love that idea of saying it's someone who comes alongside of. I found this recently. I thought this was really helpful. It's on your note guides there. The biblical perspective is when the Bible talks about encouragement, it usually means that one is coming to one's, to someone's side in order to teach, comfort, strengthen, or push them to act in a certain way. In the Bible, you'd have some synonyms like exhort, warn, or admonish. Now, I want you to think about in your own life, because I want you to begin, again, I just want you to get to know each other. Can you think of someone in your life that you would say, that person made an amazing difference in my life because he or she was an encourager to me? I'm amazed at how much we can remember when somebody really encourages us. Our staff is talking about this concept right now, how to be better encouragers. And yesterday when we were talking about it, I said to to one of the groups, I remember it was probably four or five years ago when Ben Monsivais, our Hispanic pastor, stopped me in the hallway out there in the lobby, and he gave me a compliment and encouragement that today I still picture his face, I still picture where it happened. It was that impactful in my life. Encouragement is amazing. I think back when I was a teenager, my best encourager was Mary McQuiston. Some of you have heard me talk about her a lot. She was my role model. She was my hero. She was my spiritual mother. She was my everything. And I remember Mary saying to me in high school, I was dating a guy that that I, you know, shouldn't have been dating. uh, as much as my I, my dad didn't let me date, but you know I'd like in love, and <laughs> and I remember Mary saying I was talking to her about Bill, and Bill was not a Christian, and Mary said to me, Patty, I said, well I think that he's going to get saved one of these days, Mary. I think he's going to become a Christian, and she said, Patty, I think that even if Bill Cope becomes a Christian, he's not the person for you. There's somebody who's going to be more deeply surrendered and committed than that in your life. I still remember where we were sitting. I was 18 years old. I still remember her saying it to me, the words. She was encouraging me. She was admonishing me. She was pushing me in ways that I remember sitting there going, but I really, really liked him a lot. I don't want somebody else to come into my life, but ooh, Mary's really wise, and man, I need to listen to her. Two things in my life that I still can picture it. So around your table, let's go to the people who kind of tend to talk the least at first and share um, who's been a really good encourager in your life and maybe tell it in about one minute, okay? I'm going to give you three minutes and we only have time for three people to share this. So somebody jump in there and tell who's been a great encourager and why. Go. Oh my goodness, guys. I love your answers that I'm hearing around your tables. I'm touched by some of your answers because I'm hearing some of you say, nobody. 
And that's that's a powerful thing to hear some of you say that you can't remember when somebody's encouraged you. This world desperately needs more encouragers. I want to get to be, I want to be known as an encourager, don't you? Let's talk about something else for a minute. Then we'll get more into Barnabas. Um, What specific things keep you from being more an encourager? I put it on your notes. What specific things keep you from not encouraging more readily, more often, more consistently? I'm going to give you a minute and a half. And I want you just as fast as you can around your table and throw out verbally answers. Why are you not a better encourager? I've answered this for myself four times. This is my fourth time, I think, to fifth time to work on this lesson with people. Why am I not a better encourager? Try to come up with five or six things real fast around your table. Go. What keeps you from being a better one? That's not much time, but I we've got so much to cover. Let's think about ten different reasons we're not better encouragers. I grabbed uh, one table's answers here. I'm too judgmental. How many, anybody else wrote that down? Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I'm too self-centered. I just want people to encourage me. I don't care about encouraging other people. How many wrote that down? Something like that. Yep. How many said, uh, I'm too busy? I think that's one of the biggest things. We are just plowing through life, getting stuff accomplished. We don't stop and think, I need to stop and encourage that person as I'm plowing through life. Uh, Negative attitudes. How many wrote something like negative attitudes? I'm just too negative and critical of people. Yeah. I'm a poor listener. Great answer. And I'm too impatient with people. Yeah. Bonnie, would you take that back there? I wrote down things like, uh, I think, sometimes I think they'll think I'm weird or stupid. Sometimes I think that they'll think, you know, she's just being, I don't even know how to explain that, but sometimes I go, oh, she'll just think that, that I'm being like, um, fake. Yeah, that's it. Fake. Shallow. Superficial. That's it. Um, I wrote down, sometimes I don't think somebody needs it, especially strong people. And it's not true. Sometimes I think, oh, if I tell them that, it'll give them a big head. <laughs> people need encouragement, don't they? Sometimes I put, I put down, people just have never been trained to be encouragers. I mean, we don't grow up with people saying, just really think about other people and encourage them and pour into them. And our society is not big on being encouragers. Sometimes we're a perfectionist and we have we say people have to measure up to our certain standards before we encourage them. I have found that people need to have me encourage them so that they come up to my standards. I want you to think one more thing before we look at Barnabas. How are you currently doing with being an encourager to the following people? Do you have lines out beside this or do I just have the names? Okay, I want you to draw a little line out. How are you doing if you're married? I want you to put just a word, any descriptive word. How are you doing with encouraging your husband? Ouch. Deliberately encouraging your husband if you're married. How are you doing? Write something down there. Put good, bad, terrible, great. Can't think of the last time I did that. How about your children or your grandchildren? Write something down. How about your coworkers if you work outside the home? How about your coworkers? How are you at encouraging your coworkers? How about your friends? Your friends? 
And how about your leaders? So like pastors, teachers, that kind of thing. How are you doing with your teachers, pastors, leaders? Now look at that. And we'll come back to that at the end. But I want you to say, where are you the least good at being an encourager? Circle that one. Where do you say you think, I probably need the greatest attention on that one. Circle that. We'll come back to it. Let's talk about Barnabas. I went through this summer, I went through all the scriptures on Barnabas, and there's a lot of it. I put it on your assignment sheet if you want to delve into his story. And I just wrote out at the side, and we just kind of take, okay, Acts here, and Acts there, Acts 11, Acts 12, Acts 13. And I would write, what does this teach me about Barnabas? And then I put all those together and just made a lesson out of it. The first thing I noticed about him is he was a giver. He was a giver. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4, where you have been already. And look at verse 32. He was a giver. This is so convicting to me, and I love conviction. I just think it's so helpful. So the church is growing, you know. People are getting saved after Jesus has gone into heaven. In Acts 4.32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's a crazy concept in this world, isn't it? To say, here's somebody who's so needy, I'm going to sell something so I can have some money to give to them. And then it says, what we read already, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned. He brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. When we use that definition of an encourager is someone who comes alongside of, that's what Barnabas did. He said, I'm going to come alongside this person who's needy, and I'm going to provide financially for that person. That is so, oh my goodness, I just go, Lord, you got to help me to be a better encourager. I really am convinced that all around us are needs where we could be filling them, not just for that person, but also for what it does for us. I was um, on vacation last week. I was in Florida, and um, I went to a bookstore, to Barnes & Noble's, and I was standing at the Christian Books, just looking at stuff, and there's this cute little young girl, maybe 24 or 5, just cute as could be. And she was with her little child, uh, probably two years old, three years old. And I really hadn't been paying much attention to her. She was standing there, too. And pretty soon she said, um, c- could I bar- bother you? Um, she said, um, do you have any recommendation for a good book? Whoa, I like this. I like right here. I'm just gave me goosebumps because I know books. <laughs> and I like books. And I said, oh, I would love to give you a recommendation for a book. Tell me uh, about your faith. She said, well, I've, uh, I used to walk with the Lord. I walked away. I've had some real struggles in my life. And I've just come back to him. 
And she said, I'm really just trying to get my life where God wants it to be. And I've been reading some people. But she said, I don't know what to read. And I said, um, do you have a Bible? So I said, so you, you receive Christ as your Savior, as the one who forgives you of your sins. And she said, yeah, I have. Because I want to make sure that she made that step. And she said, I said, um, do you have a Bible? She said, no, I don't. Oh, she said, no, I have an old King James Version. I said, oh, that's the first place we need to start. Are you understanding it? I'm not understanding it. It's just so outdated. I said, well, no wonder it was written in the 1600s, so that makes sense. And uh, I said, let's look for a Bible for you. So we started looking through all the Bibles, and um, and uh, my best friend, Marcia, came over, and I said, Marcia, look what we're doing. And, and Marcia said, well, what price range are you looking at? She said, well, I have a book here that I'm returning and um, hoping to get a Bible for the comparable amount. And her book was like, uh, you know, $12 or something. And I said, tell you what, let's just look for a Bible that would work for you. And I'll pay the rest of it. She said, you would do that? I said, oh, in a heartbeat. I said, I lo- it gives me goosebumps now. I'm not telling this because it's big about me. I'm telling you because I want you to be this way. I went... I would love to buy you a Bible. I said, I love to teach the Bible, and I love to help people love the Bible. It would be like a joy to me if you'd let me help you buy a Bible. So we started looking at Bibles and and, uh, found one, a New Living Translation for her, and walked her up to the front desk, you know, to to pay for it, to make up the difference. And and she just hugged me, and she just said, Oh, I just can't tell you what this means to me, that you would just look at me and say, I want to give you a Bible. I get to be a Barnabas. I get to come along somebody and be a giver. You guys, one of the reasons God wants us to be a giver is because of what it does for us. Not just of what it does for the person. It causes us to go, I'll be a Jesus a little bit here. It makes me remember a story back years ago. I told this one other time in Heartstrings. But it fits so much here. We were going to go on vacation. This was quite a long time ago. We didn't have any money at all. And uh, we didn't know exactly how we were going to do anything extra on vacation. And nobody knew that. I couldn't tell that to anybody because I was too embarrassed to even admit that we were that broke. And somebody in this room came up to me and said, "Uh, Patty, would you take this? And they had a card. And she said, "Um, I had some extra money in my... um, what do you call that account, That when your household account? And she said, I just would like to give this to you. Went, opened it, and inside was $80. Now, to you today in 2013, 80 may or may not sound like a lot, but back, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 15 years ago, it was a lot of money. Not only was it a lot of money that she gave me, but it was God, it was it was developing greater trust in me because I had been praying, God, if there's any way you could help just give us a little bit of money to do a little bit of extra stuff with the kids, I would just feel so grateful to you. Her answer in being a giver developed greater trust in me, in God. Being a giver, your possessions can make a difference in somebody's life and in your life. Now, I want you to answer around your tables, and I can't believe it's 1027. Um, Have you ever either had anybody do that for you and it's made a difference, or have you ever, how can your possessions and your money and your resources become a source of encouragement to somebody else? Or if you can't answer that either way, then answer this What do you need to do to become better at being a giver financially? And don't say you're too poor, because you're not.
I am so convinced that if you'll become a giver, even if you don't have much money, you may not be able to give 80, but you might be able to give 8 to somebody who desperately needs 8. So around your table, maybe that would be the best way to answer it. What needs to change in you to be better at being a giver, at being a boss to somebody? Three minutes, not a lot of time, but go. That's a good question. Oh, you guys, what a joy it is to be a Barnabas, to be an encourager, to come alongside someone and be a giver. And man, I'm just challenging me, I'm challenging you to become better encouragers, to see our resources as something that we can use to help other people. I mean, how many, oh, oh, by the way, we're passing around the um, uh, child care stuff because I forgot to do it, so try to keep that going, okay? Um, I mean, think about, like, girls' night out. How many times do you think, maybe I could pay for somebody? If you're comfortable financially, how many times could you think, I could pay for somebody else to go? So just constantly be thinking, Lord, could you put me in a place where today I could use my resources for you in some way? I'm really excited about this. Uh, did they preach last week about giving to the African church? Is that So I'm really excited as we take up that offering in this next couple of weeks to help the African church where, man, I've been there, guys. It's amazing. And all of these people from all over the world who just have nothing, we're going to be able to help them have a place of worship. It's just unbelievable and it's going to bring joy to us. Okay, number two, he was a risk taker. He was a risk taker. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. There was this guy named Saul who had gotten saved. And the trouble is, Saul had been breathing out murderous threats against the church. And here he's on the road to Damascus, and he gets knocked off of, of, his, of his donkey, and he uh, gets saved. And a lot of people don't believe it. They say, this guy's pretending to be saved so that he can really kill us. And here comes a guy named Barnabas. Look at verse um, 19 at the end of it. There's a new paragraph. Saul, who becomes Paul, of course, spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and said, Isn't he the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by the, at night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, that was the place where all the apostles were, he tried to join the disciples. But what was their reaction? Great faith. Nope, they were afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. And I love two words. But Barnabas. But Barnabas. I want to put my name in there and say, but Patty. But Carol. But Frank. What about somebody who, if you can come alongside them, will forever be able to say, but Barnabas 
took him and brought him to the apostles and he told how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them, moved about freely in Jerusalem, spoke boldly in the name of Christ and uh, debated with everybody about Jesus. If Barnabas hadn't come alongside this guy, how long would it have taken the disciples to really get it that he was on the right page now? But Barnabas, this encourager, says, I'm going to trust him. And he took a risk on this guy. Because he didn't know the future. He didn't know Saul was going to become the greatest uh, missionary the world's ever known. And he did that with Saul. And he also did it with a young guy named John Mark. We're not going to take time to look it up. I have it on your um, assignment sheet if you want to. In Acts 12 and 13, there's this young guy... Named John Mark, he was actually probably some relative in some ways. People aren't exactly sure, maybe a cousin in some ways of Barnabas. And uh, he was this this young guy who uh, Barnabas took a risk with and had him come on a missionary tour with him. He eventually um, leaves them and goes back home to mom, and Barnabas still comes alongside him. Uh, It costs him his relationship with, with Paul. Later, John Mark writes the Gospel of Mark. And you wonder, if John Mark, if Barnabas hadn't come alongside him, would he have really gotten it eventually? I don't know. Who do you need to be a risk taker with? Because you see, when you're a risk taker with someone, you don't see the future. You don't know for sure that that person's going to make it. You don't know for sure that that person's going to rise up to where you want them to be. Some of you are married to one of those guys. Some of you have a child like that. Some of you have a grandchild like that. And where we just have to say, I'm going to come alongside this person. I'm going to believe in them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to uh, encourage them to be all that God wants them to be. I want you to think in your own life, is there anybody that you need to take a risk with? And I want to encourage you to take that question to your uh, quiet time this week and ask the Lord to speak to you because we don't have time to talk about it right here. Number three, he was a humble person. He was willing to take the back seat. He was willing to take the back seat. Let me tell you what this was about. If you study in the book of Acts about Barnabas, if you look in chapters, he starts in verse in chapter 11, and he goes all the way to um, chapter 15. And usually, when you first start out reading about Barnabas, it's Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. In New Testament times, it was very important what name came first. Kind of like today, if there's a law of three guys in a law office, whose name goes first on the wall? The senior guy, the one who's been with it the longest, the one who founded it or whatever, and then it kind of goes down the, the row. The first name has always been kind of important. Whoever's the first name on something is the most important one. And that was really true in New Testament times. It was Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then it was Barnabas and Paul, because Saul's name turns to Paul. Then something interesting happens. Things begin to change, and Paul rises in eloquence. He rises in um, authority. He rises in uh, being the leader, and it changes. And you'll see Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, except for those couple of places where um, uh, his culture needs to be spoken into, and so it goes back to Barnabas. But most times, it changes, and it becomes... Saul, uh, Paul, and Barnabas. He takes this back seat to this guy. He first is the guy. He's first the big wheel. And eventually he takes the back seat. And I wonder in our own lives, how difficult is it 
for us to let somebody else take the primary position. My question right there is this. When others get praised or complimented or receive glory, how do I feel internally? What must happen internally in me for me to be able to be glad when others get the praise or the glory or when others get uh, uh, kind of raise up in position? Just talk about it. It's not even a really good question, but I just want you to throw out a couple ideas for two minutes. How do you feel when other? maybe you do great with this, but perhaps somebody in your table who doesn't do quite so well and who has to struggle through this would be a good person to share here. How do you do when somebody else kind of begins to get the praise, the glory, and you kind of look like you have to take the back seat? Do you struggle with it? Is it easy? Is it difficult? Just talk about it for about two minutes. Maybe a couple of people throw out your thoughts and ideas. Okay. Hopefully we'll talk about humility sometime this year. Uh, Another thing, he was a person of great integrity and trustworthiness. Let me give you an assignment. Study Acts 11, 19 to 26. It's right there on your uh, sheets. I'd encourage you to read this part about Barnabas and how amazing he was in his integrity and trustworthiness and then ask yourself this question in your quiet time. Is there anything in my life that if known would cause people to think less of me as a follower of Christ? Let me say it again. So you look at Barnabas. He was a person of such character and integrity that people trusted him implicitly. And in your quiet time, I'd encourage you to go through this question. Is there anything in my private life that if known would cause people to think less of me as a Christ follower? Not going to have you share that one around your table. But it's a really important one to talk about with the, with the Holy Spirit. Number five, he was a confronter who spoke boldly when needed. He was a confronter who spoke boldly when needed. Go to Acts chapter 13. We can't read this entire section, but I want you to know where it is. Barnabas and Saul were at Pisidian Antioch. They were preaching the gospel, and they get in big trouble. And people are just really, uh, the Jews are coming down hard on them. They're, uh, they're persecuting them. And it doesn't stop Barnabas and Saul or Paul from just preaching the gospel. We don't have time to look at all of it, but look at verse 46 of chapter 13. Right before that, it says the Jews were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. Answered them boldly. We tend to think of encouragement as being something easy and complimentary and, oh, you look good today. Biblically, encouragement is a lot deeper than that. It's coming alongside someone and saying even the tough things that need to be said. So I wonder, both how do you do with that, at, at speaking boldly into someone's life, and how do you receive it when someone speaks boldly into your life? An encourager says what needs to be said, not always what people want to hear. But I do realize that we can encourage people more boldly the closer we are to them. 
the more that we trust them, the more that we know that they really love, or that we really love them. Yesterday, I was at one of the staff meetings sharing this, and one of the uh, uh, assistants set, gave us an example. We, I said, "Who was, has been one of your great encouragers?" And she said, "The person sitting two chairs down from her." She said, um, "She she is an amazing encourager to me." She said recently, she talked to me about. She said I was kind of. Um, lamenting some relationship issues with my mom. And she said, she said to me, you need to think about that differently. You need to think about where you need to change and about, about it from your mom's perspective. And, you, and she said, she spoke pretty boldly into my life. And I said, why did you accept? And she, and she started crying. She said, it changed my relationship with my mom because I began to think about it from a different perspective. She said, she's a great encourager. I said, what made you receive that so well? Because somebody else possibly could have spoken into your life and said, hey, you know, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this well. You need to change. And you might not have received it as well. She said, oh, I just know she loves me. I just know how she feels about me. And she'd receive anything from her. That's a great example to me of both a person who encourages someone biblically, comes alongside them and speaks pretty boldly into their life, but also somebody who receives that pretty well, really, really well. And the third part of that is how much better we receive things when we really know that the person loves us. There are times when maybe you want to say something to speak into someone's life and say something to them, but you know you don't have a good enough relationship to do it, to really encourage them biblically. So that just really spoke to me in a lot of different ways. And I wonder, um, for each one of us... Where do we need to receive encouragement better when someone speaks boldly into our lives? And where do we need to speak into someone else's life? It may be that you're sitting here today and you already know somebody that you should speak to about something they're doing wrong. And you're just not able to do it because you're just, you know, you're, you're good friends with them. They know you love them, but you don't want to confront them about something. Maybe you need to step into their lives. Maybe I need to step into someone's life and say something that needs to be said. Now, as we get ready to close, I want you real quickly to look back over all those points about Barnabas. He was a giver. He was a risk taker. He was a humble person willing to take the back seat. He was a person of great integrity and character and trustworthiness. He was a confronter who spoke boldly into people's lives. Out of all five of those, where do you think probably God would like to help you get better as an encourager? Because you're not going to get better with all five of those right away. But where would you say this next week, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak into my life. And this is the one thing I think he probably would most like to speak into my life about. Around your table, go around and share that. Um, maybe you know, like 20 seconds each, just sharing what your particular point is and why. Like, I want to be a much better giver. I just want to be seeing needs all the time and just help people. Because I think, I, mean, I love what happens in my heart when I do that. What will be yours in this lesson and why? Go. Now is our last part before we leave this morning. We're going to pray. Whatever you... Whoops. Whatever you... Whatever, there we go. This thing gets caught on me and turned off. Um, whatever you just shared around your table, 
Now I want you to just say it out loud to the Lord. How many of you get real intimidated when you pray out loud? Raise your hand. Okay? You're just fine. You've just been talking around your table. Now you're just going to close your eyes and do it. No different. So just ask the Lord to help you whatever you just shared. If you get in, didn't get a chance to share, you can just do it as you pray. Ask the Lord to help you in that one particular thing. And let's spend a few minutes in prayer. Our first heartstrings of the year. If you want to get a green heritage bag, come up and do that. Make sure your tables are accurate for who's sitting there. Oh, one other thing. I'm so glad I saw Wanda hold this up. If you're going to do child care this year, we need to have... Hey guys, let me get you one announcement I forgot. If you're going to do child care this year, we need to have you fill out one of these uh, background release forms. It just helps us to know that you are not uh, a convicted felon. And that's important for us to know. Fill that out and put it in this big envelope. If you don't have time to do it today, do it next week, okay? Or take it home. Or, but make sure we get it. Have a great week, everybody. Oh, if you have ever filled out you do not have to do it. If you have, if you work with our children at all, you've already done this. You don't have to do it if you work with our children at all. Because you've already filled one out.
Oh, okay. Somebody else has done the same thing. Oh, did they? Okay. Wonderful. And did I make it out to the right? Just to Heritage, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's great, Sue. Thanks so much. You had a good trip? We did. We did. It's just been crazy coming back. It'd be so good. Good time, too? How long were you gone? That's good. Yeah, that's like the furthest we've gone. Uh-huh.